You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen, amen. Just before we officially get into God's Word today, so good to see you all. By the way, welcome to Hope Oakville today. Um, Special family, church family announcement uh, on the screen for you. We have three couples in our church family celebrating 60 years of marriage. Let's go, let's go. That's pretty awesome. Amen. 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 That's such, such a big deal. I wonder, um, are any of the couples in the room right now? Any of the couples in the room right now? I know it's embarrassing for you. I'm not sure which service you're coming at. No, 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 no. Okay. So um, if you happen to see Archie and Doreen or Jack and Marlene or Tom and Jesse, um, you know, in our day when, um, you know, marriages, commitment, I don't have to say too much about it. It's pretty weak and uh, in many ways so sad to, in our day to have couples in Christ, being married together six decades, um, the inspiration, the example, the blessing, the perseverance, anyone who's been married longer than a couple minutes takes perseverance, takes trust and faith, and, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And so to the three couples here on the screen, by the way, when you're married 60 years, your picture goes up too, all right? That's kind of how it works around here, but we are so thankful for Christ in you, and we're so thankful for his grace in you, and that we get to celebrate Christ again through your uh, decades of, of uh, marriage. So one more time, we're so thankful for that. Amen. Bless them. So good. Amen. Amen. Pray for more announcements like that as we go along. All right, so we're in week number two of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. You open your Bibles, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 5, as we introduced last week. I hope you're here for that. Um, we um, communicated, we're going to kind of break up over this ministry year, a series in chapter 5, a series in chapter 6, and a mini-series in chapter 7 as well. Uh, chapter 5 series for now, it's called Living in Light of the Kingdom. Living in Light of the Kingdom. Um, the, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is that. It's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Jesus stands up with a few words. He brings a world-changing revolution And how does he do this? He does this by introducing a radical new counter-cultural way of living. And here's the the amazing thing about what Jesus teaches. And here's what we must understand. All of us who are genuinely alive in Jesus Christ, who are born again, again by the Spirit, into his kingdom, okay? Listen carefully. That necessitates that our lives must look different. Not perfect yet, that's coming, but not yet. Okay, not everything figured out yet, that's coming, Christ returns. But if we're genuinely in the kingdom of God, we will begin to follow the path and increasingly look like uh, obedience in response to what Jesus Christ has taught, okay? If we say we're saved, and if we say that we know Jesus, but our lives remain the same, unchanged, year after year after year after year, that's a very big theological problem uh, for those of us in that place. There must be sanctification, growth in Christ. There must be transformation. Because in Christ, we have been granted access into a new kingdom. We are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. I mean, that is a massive, massive theological reality for anyone, again, who's alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is 
preaching and teaching to believers in Jesus Christ. A quote that we heard last week in our sermon bumper by Martin Lloyd-Jones, I want to put up on the screen again. I love it very much. He says this, I maintain again that if only every genuine Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we do pray for and are longing for, listen what he says, would have already have started. Now think about that, okay? If we were to live out in obedience by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, what's in the Sermon on the Mount, man, your life is changing, this church is changing, and the community around us is changing as well. Here's where I wanted to make it personal for you, okay? To live out in obedience by God's grace, by the Spirit, the Sermon on the Mount. I can't do that for you. And you can't do that for me. This is between you and the Lord and the Holy Spirit. We encourage each other, yes, body of Christ, yes, but ultimately you are responsible again for how you decide you will handle what's been given to you. But here's what I love too. If every one of us who's alive in Jesus Christ took so seriously the commands of obedience of the Sermon on the Mount and sought to live this out by grace, by the Holy, keep saying that, by grace, by the Holy Spirit, has to be him, but in our lives and we sought obedience, listen, your life is changing, my life is changing, this church is changing, your family's changing, this community is changing. People who are right now lost in Christ will be changed as we impact them. They're brought in here or we minister the gospel to them. Listen, if all of us do this as individuals and collectively, God is going to move in awesome ways because that's what Jesus promises. Your onus, again, the onus on you, the onus on me. What will we do individually then collectively to the commands that Jesus is giving in the Sermon on the Mount? It's pretty exciting when you think about that. But I want you to feel that personally, church. Right again, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. But I want you to feel that personally. What would happen, man? Things would change. It would be pretty, pretty awesome. Jesus is like, man, I'm changing the world one life at a time. And I have chosen by my design to use my church to do that. Man, take that so serious, especially as we begin here in the Beatitudes. Man, it's so life-changing when we get it and take seriously what Jesus Christ has said. So last week, we began really with verse 3 when Jesus says this foundational truth, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then this week, we're only going to take one more verse, verse 4. We'll speed up a little bit from now on as we go, Lord willing. But this week, verse 4, very closely tied to verse 3. Take a look at Matthew 5, verse 4. Take a look there. (coughs) Excuse me, look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Can you get a sermon out of that verse? You better believe you can. Well, better hope we can. So that's what we're praying for anyways right now. So here's the outline we started last week, and then here's where we're going today too. The secret to true blessing from last week, from verse 3... I must believe that poverty leads to riches. Remember that? I must believe that spiritual poverty, I know I'm spiritually bankrupt on my own. I have nothing to bring to the table. I'm sinful before a holy God. That leads to the person that's filled with the riches of Jesus Christ and his grace and his life. If I want to be blessed, it all starts here. No exceptions to true blessing. Today we see this. If I want true blessing in my life, the next is, I must believe that mourning leads to comfort. I mean, what a way to start a sermon, huh? I mean, it's just, it's just like, what? Like, true blessing, I believe that mourning, grieving, leads to blessing or the comfort of God um, upon my life. So again, what a way to start the greatest sermon ever giving. 
given. In verse 3, Jesus essentially says, happy are those who are spiritually bankrupt. And now in verse 4, he says, happy fulfilled are blessed are those who mourn. That's so strange, isn't it? Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are sad is what he's really saying, in a sense. John Stott says it this way. Really, Jesus says, happy are those who are unhappy. Happy are those who are unhappy? Like, what? what? Like, how does this make sense? And by the way, without the Holy Spirit, this doesn't make sense. Without the Holy Spirit, this, like, this is like laughable. Our world's like, whatever. What a ridiculous thing to say. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't get it. With the Holy Spirit, absolutely life-changing. With the Holy Spirit, the theology of mourning in our lives leads to untold and unparalleled blessing and joy and grace from God himself. So let's break this verse down a little further. We have two main points today off off of what you've already seen. Point number one then is this, the power of mourning. The power of mourning. Remember from last week, the word blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. The word blessed conveys a very deep sense of inner fulfillment, uh, happiness, uh, joy, contentedness. Uh, That word blessed is really the character of God himself, which holds a blessing. Remember from last week, holds a blessing that can't be diminished or touched or altered by any outside circumstance because God is perfect in blessing, perfect in joy, perfect in contentedness. And this is what he wants to share with us right? This, this is what Jesus is getting at. Blessed with such joy and inner happiness are those who, again, now poor in spirit today, those who mourn. This is why history is replete with Christians who were imprisoned but experiencing a joy they did not know existed. This is why history is filled with martyrs at the stake about to die for their love for Jesus Christ and testifying to a joy and happiness and fulfillment in Christ in that moment, again, that the world cannot possibly understand. Think of Stephen being martyred, being stoned to death, again, for his love for Jesus Christ. This is why history is replete with those who are persecuted for following Christ and loving him And saying, I've never felt closer to God in my entire life than the suffering and pain that I'm going through right now. It it doesn't make sense to the world. This is what God does, though. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted by what only God can bring and only God can give. But again, to our world, right? Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. It's a crazy statement to the philosophy of our world. It's so utterly countercultural, right? Because what does our world say? Our world doesn't say happy are those who mourn. Our world says happy are those who are happy. Our world says happy are those who win lotteries, right? Right, right, right. It happens all the time, right? This is the picture. A lot of 649 commercials. There it is. This is your path to all happiness and all joy and all satisfaction is, is, is tons of money. And they paint all the pictures of every problem in life is solved. It's... it's It's a lie. Our world says happy are those who retire early. You know, that statement growing up, Freedom 55, I was like, Freedom 55? Not while I'm alive. You know what I mean? At least not as it pertains to me. I mean, that's for sure. Happy are those who drive nice cars. Happy are those who are always healthy. Happy are those who just never have things 
go bad to them. You ever, by the way, you ever notice like um, those billboards like, and, they're, and they're marketing for people who had just retired? And, and they, have a, they, they, they have a picture. Like it's a new housing development. They're trying to attract kind of, again, new retirees to move up there, whatever it is. And there's this picture of this very attractive kind of like, you know, newly retired couple. And they're sitting there with a glass of wine. And they're looking at a sunset. And uh, like the weather's perfect. And they have a dog beside. And the dog somehow is also smiling. Like it's just like, <laughs> it's craziness. And you kind of watch that. And you're driving by. Like look at those perfect people and that perfect setting and that perfect situation. They're so happy. I want to live there too. I mean, that's the answer. But we know, we know. If you're smart, you look at that. You're like, that's not true. They get there. And life still happens. And pain still happens. And cancer still happens. And grief still happens. And life still happens. It's just not true. By the way, too, you ever notice, like, like, I've never seen a car commercial that doesn't involve one of the happiest persons I've ever seen. Like, they're in that car. And they're, I'm like, that's the secret to life. Like, they get behind the wheel. And they're like, and they're, try, they're just driving, like everything starts to work out. They're just like loving life. And again, the sun's shining in their face too. And, and all this, everything comes together through this car. Like that's amazing. And then you know people who have bought that car and it doesn't add up. Like, like they're not always like that because it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. By the way, just like parents and stuff, like for my kids sometimes, like a commercial comes on, and when they send these messages, pause. What's wrong? Like, what's not true about that commercial? I'm like, oh, there goes dad again, you know, whatever. But it's a good teaching moment because it's not true. If it was true, then we'd all be doing it. We wouldn't have any problems. What Jesus does, he rents out a billboard, and Jesus puts on the billboard in large letters. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the unhappy Fulfilled are the sad, for they shall be comforted. And the world's like, that's crazy talk. Who's this Jesus guy? How can you possibly be happy when you're mourning? Be fulfilled when you're grieving? That makes no sense. And Jesus is like, for those who hear, they will experience a fulfillment and contentedness and joy that literally will be so impactful now and last all the way into eternity. Jesus is like, my ways are not the ways of the world. So what is Jesus teaching here then when he says, blessed are those who mourn? Some of us understand, some of us don't. He's teaching this, okay? Spiritual mourning leads to unparalleled spiritual joy. Spiritual mourning leads to unparalleled spiritual joy. Let's be clear though, okay? Spiritual mourning over what? Spiritual mourning, listen, over sin. That's what he's teaching. Very closely tied to broken in spirit, right? Blessed are the broken in spirit. Now blessed are those who mourn, a couplet basically, who mourn over sin, personal sin against a holy God, okay? Very, very, very important. For someone to truly experience the blessing of God, okay? Okay, again, incredibly important right now. Again, some of you maybe are new here. Some of you are new to church or even uh, introduction to the Christian faith. Some of you never been taught this before. This is so massively important. For someone to truly experience the full blessing of God in their lives, they must also see on some level, at some point, the devastation of their own sin before, again, a holy and righteous God. If you're going to receive the gift of grace from God that leads to eternal life, you have to know why you need his grace. 
The grace comes to forgive sin against the Lord that we have committed. If you're going to revel in God's mercy, you have to know how blessed and how incredible it is that he's given you mercy despite all the sin piled up, again, against what he has commanded us to do and against him personally. You cannot know the joy, happiness, full, again, contentedness of the Lord without on some level mourning over personal sin. Again, a massive biblical principle. Uh, J.C. Ryle, he put it this way. He said, listen carefully, he said, the way to heaven is to feel we are on the way to hell. I'll say it again, okay? The way to heaven, we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to go to heaven. The way to heaven is to feel that you're on the way to hell. See, because when you realize you're going in the direction of hell and death and wrath, at that point, literally the fear of God comes upon you and all of a sudden you see the reality of where you want to be and you can't get there on your own. You need the forgiveness and grace and the life and love of Jesus Christ to saturate your life and soul. Thomas Watson, he said this way on the screen for you, he said, we must go through the valley of tears in order to get to paradise. A third way of saying this too, and this is all taught through scripture, there is no true conversion without conviction. There must be conviction mourning over sin to have the comfort of God in salvation and conversion of eternal life. Right? So think about that. Um, the mourning over sin leads to an incredible supernatural awareness of the grace and comfort of God. One of my favorite stories is in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, the story of the sinful woman, likely a prostitute in the city. Whatever she had done, it is not good. It was seen as awful by the Pharisees around her, all that kind of stuff. The picture in Luke 7 has always captivated my heart. Um, she walks into the Pharisee's house. She couldn't care less who was there. She is so overcome and broken in her sin, but so overwhelmed by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. She falls down at the feet of Jesus. She is weeping tears of mourning and joy. She is, her tears hit the feet of Jesus. She's wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair, with her tears washing them. And she, again, is, is completely aware of her sin and completely overcome by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Remember the point that Jesus made in that story? Right? The Pharisees are looking, if Jesus would have known who this woman was, he never would have let her do that. And Jesus is like, let me tell you the story of what's going on right now, the principle. He's like, they who have been forgiven much love much. They who mourn over their sin are incredibly supernaturally and intimately aware of the comfort of God in grace, in forgiveness, in love, in mercy, in affection, and intimacy with him. The more we mourn over our sin, the more we are aware of the reality of the comfort of God upon our lives. So what's very clear too from verse 4 is just that. The more we truly see our sin, then the more we are amazed at his grace and joy. Let's just, for example, another way to look at it. Uh, The most famous hymn ever written is... Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, slave trader, had a massive conversion to Jesus Christ. So the most famous hymn, again, begins with Amazing Grace, 
Why is it so amazing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, you guys all know it, a wretch. He's mourning over his sin. He understands he was a wretch. Previous, again, before he was saved, all his sin, all his ghastly deeds that he did, and the moment he sees he's a wretch and he sees the grace and love and forgiveness of Christ, then he stands up and writes that hymn that the whole world has now sung again, over and over again, amazing grace, incredible grace, amazing comfort of God. How incredibly sweet the sound that's saved. He's blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Absolutely every time. Another way to say this too, and this is, I mean, look at our lives. Think about this church, brothers and sisters, those who I love so much. Think about this. The reason joy might often elude us is because our sin often does not grieve us. Think about the connection there. The reason joy often eludes us is because our sin often does not grieve us. Again, Lloyd-Jones, he says it so well here. He says this. This is, this is a blessing to me, man. The way he kind of articulated this, this is the astounding thing about the Christian life. And it is. You won't find this in any other religion, anywhere close. Your great sorrow leads to joy. And without the sorrow, there is no joy. I love when he says this. This is such good theology about theology. A deep or high doctrine of sin leads to a deep or high doctrine of joy. That's what Jesus is saying. The more we're aware of the reality of sin within, the more we find the joy of God within our lives as well. See, now this explains also why there's so much apathy in the big C church in our day, in this nation and this continent. There's so much apathy in the church because the doctrine of sin is barely even taught. When we spend so much time trying to make people feel better about themselves and we never actually deal with the greatest disease we all have within us, which is the disease of self and our obsession with sin. So much of the church are making people feel good about themselves when they're like on their deathbed and need of an accurate description of what's happening. They're handing them vitamins when they need heart surgery. That's a massive problem. We're trying to make them feel good. Have a couple of vitamins. They're literally dying. They need a heart transplant or heart surgery in the awareness of their sin in order to get their lives renewed and restored back to where God would have them be. That's why it's massive today, man. It's like it's not easy, but it's so important. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over sin, for they, they shall be comforted. It's interesting, eh, too? Like, I mean, all, all throughout Scripture, Isaiah, he gets a, a glimpse of the holiness of God. His first reaction, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean, unclean lips. He's devastated in his sin in light of the holiness of God. Peter in the boat with Jesus in Luke 5, there's this catch of fish. Whatever happens, the catch of fish, and Jesus looks at the fish, understands the miracle, looks at Christ. Christ, in this is God. He falls on his face and says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the only thing he knew to do. Unbelievable. Mourning in the reality of God's holiness. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, he's going through in chapter 7 about his sinful nature and like the sin that I don't want to do, I do, and the good things I do when I do, I don't do. And he's like, oh, at the end, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I'm so comforted that Paul said that because I feel that way too. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. That's, that's a Christian moving towards Christ. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. 
Think of it this way too, a, a lack of spiritual mourning in our lives or our leadership or our churches or our families, a lack of spiritual mourning will be a lack of reverence for God, will be a lack of fear of God, will be a lack of gratitude in our lives, will be a lack of joy, will be a lack of peace, will be a lack of true worship, a lack of true singing, there will be a lack of the awareness of the presence of God. A lack of spiritual mourning will lead to a lack of a lot of other things that maybe we really want. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a mourning of personal sin, and there's also this in Scripture. I think what Jesus also means here is there's a mourning of public sin as well. I want you to think of all the instances in Scripture where the theology of mourning, we, we, we may not identify it this way, but I think it's very, very powerful. Think of Moses smashing the Ten Commandments at the sight of the golden calf. It's a mourning over public sin. Joshua tearing his clothes, falling on his face at the results of sin, uh, the sin of Achan. Eli falling over backwards and dying after hearing about the ark of God being captured. Samuel crying to the Lord all night over the sin of Saul. David lying on the ground all night over the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba and the impact, again, upon God's people. The psalmist who says, my eyes shed streams of tears. Why? Because the people do not keep your law. Jeremiah weeping and weeping and weeping over the sin of God's people. Daniel absolutely heartbroken with weeping and fasting and sackcloth and ashes on behalf of the people and their sin. Then there's Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, weeping over Jerusalem and the hard-heartedness, again, of the people. Jesus himself was described in Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Paul, in Romans 9, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Wow, what language. Why? He wishes that he could be accursed as opposed to his Jewish brethren, because they are not receiving the gospel and they do not have eternal life with Jesus Christ. Unceasing sorrow and anguish in his heart. Mourning is right and proper as a part of the Christian life. I'm all for smiles. I love Christian brothers and sisters who smile. Like it's very encouraging. But life is not all about smiles. Life and living in Christ, the people walk around and be like, hey, what's up? hey, what's up? and they do that. And it's kind of like a plastic and everything's fine. No, it's not. Everything's not fine all the time. And there's never any problems. No, that's not true. There's always problems. I mean, what, what Robbie Simons knows, man, like I want to smile, but there's a large portion of my life that I may have joy, but on the outside, there's a mourning through the reality of the sin that I feel that's around me and the sensitivity to the darkness and the evil that I encounter and you encounter every single day. In fact, the more I grow in Christ and the closer I get to Jesus Christ, the more sensitive I feel I'm becoming. And again, not always a smile on my face. I pray there's a joy in my heart, but there's a mourning that goes on as well as my spirit Spirit is grieved by the reality of the things that are around me. I watch TV. I see the messages. I see what the world is doing. I'm watching the politics. I see the news. So much of it breaks my heart. I see the stats of the young people. I see what's going on. I see the lies. I can cut through all the deception of Satan himself, and I know where it's headed. It's headed to death and judgment and total destruction of people. That doesn't put a smile on my face, and it shouldn't put one on yours either. There's a proper place to mourn. 
as we mourn and long for God to do what only he can do, but we weep tears again of brokenness over the reality of what is happening. And trusting that the comfort of God will come when we need it the most. One of the highlights of my time away this past summer, my wife Jill and I, we got away just the two of us, what a concept, man. That was so good. And uh, no offense, kids, but we're going to do it again. Um, we, uh, we went out east for a couple of days, the Maritimes, and uh, spent a couple of days in Halifax, Moncton, and then ended up in Charlottetown. It was really, really great. Just like five days, but it was so good. And, uh, but one of the things that when I was there, I was just so filled with gratitude to be with Jill and just so good for our marriage and everything else. But I was caught off guard by uh, a couple of things that happened to me while I was there. I get up early and I was walking the streets, particularly Halifax and Moncton, and um, a couple of things I wasn't ready for, just because you're just, you know, you're just having a break and stuff and you're enjoying that. But my spirit was really, really impacted as I was walking downtown Halifax and Moncton. Um, the ubiquitous nature of the sexual revolution messages were there. I mean, it just, it just seemed to be in every situation, every phase. And it just really impacted me in the sense of the messaging and what will not fulfill and will lead people down a path away from Christ. At the same time, like right beside all of this, there were these massive, beautiful church buildings in the center of each city that what I, and I think about this a lot, that at one point, I mean, the reason they're in the center of the city because it was the center of the city. And at one point not too long ago, this was what the people valued, this is what the people believed, this is how the city was led and run. And for the most part now, these churches, I was overcome in Moncton, because I'd never been there before, small, small city, you know, a lot of it looks pretty nice, but in the kitty corner, a couple hundred meters, very close to where our hotel was, and I walked down, and these beautiful, large church buildings, like four or five of them, all packed into like one block, many of them apostate now, it was very evident, and others were probably barely effective, if at all. For me, it's what once was and now what is. I was grieved. My heart, uh, tears. And I became discouraged. Like, well, what's happening to this nation? Like, for me, it's a picture. Like, I, I'm, I'm big on this kind of stuff, man. It's a picture of, like, you know, we build the things into what we believe in and the lostness and the darkness. And I was getting discouraged. I'm like, How do we stop this tidal wave of what's going on? In places I wasn't expecting to see out east, I thought it might be a little different. But in that moment, in my discouragement, I think the Lord spoke to me, not audibly, but just in my spirit and heart, as I was praying to him, and, and the encouragement and the, and, the, and the comfort came to say, Robbie, you can't control all this stuff that's happening here, but you can be faithful to what I've called you and the church that you belong to to do where you are. You, you can shine the light of Jesus Christ, and you can exalt Jesus Christ as high as possible, and you within your brothers and sisters at Hope Oakville, you guys can proclaim Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel as faithful as I empower you to do. You do that. You let me take care of the rest. And I was like, you know, in our day, like every church, I'm just like, loved ones, like, like every church that shines the light of Jesus Christ, there's so much purpose in that. Yes, the darkness seems to be increasing. All things are happening. But we can be faithful where we are. We, you and me together, we can hold up Jesus Christ. The world can do what it's going to do. And God is sovereign over that. He's saying, I'm sovereign over that. But you be faithful to what you've been called to do. You proclaim Christ. You preach the word. You pray. You love the lost. You minister to those that are around you. You do that as best as you can by my grace, by the power of my Holy Spirit and you leave the rest to me. Yeah, raise up leaders and send out missionaries. You do what you can do. But Robbie, trust me, man, I got all this. I got all this. 
But I need faithful men and women to stand up where they are and to continue to proclaim the light and the love of Jesus Christ as long as they have breath. And I tell you, that was um, the highlight of my summer. That moment right there. I mean, for reasons I can't get into right now, and there's not time for it, that for me was what I needed to hear from the Lord. I needed that to say, keep going, son. Keep going. With the brothers and sisters that you're with and the opportunity that you've been entrusted with, you exalt Jesus Christ. You lift high the name of Jesus. You preach the word. You pray. You share the good news. And I just walked away from that man with now good tears in my eyes and the comfort of the Lord upon my heart and, and with a resolve to keep going and not give up. Let's do it together. Amen, church? Let's do it together. I mean, how awesome that is. Amen. Amen. And the Lord says, he's like, he's like, hey, man, am I sovereign or not? You are sovereign, God. So he's like, I'm not stressed. Where are you? Okay, that's good. But all the darkness, he's like, I got it. All the evil. He's like, maybe I ordained it. Read my word. What does it say? The way I read it, it's going to get pretty bad. He's like, am I in charge? Yes. Am I the king? Yes. Am I the ruler? Yes. Am I good? Yes. Do I got you? Yes. Am I faithful? 100%, Lord. Let's go then. Let's go then. It's a good point, Lord. That's a good point. In this sense, head down. Low, prayer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Mourn. Mourn over the sin. Very right. Very good. But then expect the comfort. Expect the comfort. The power of mourning and now the promise of comfort. The promise of comfort. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. I want you to notice in every beatitude we go through, there's this massive incentive at the end. This massive reward, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty good reward, don't you think? That's a pretty good reward. Blessed are those who mourn now, for they shall be comforted. That's a great reward. Comforted by God himself. The word comfort, come alongside, parakleo, um, uh, the noun of the word comforter in John's gospel for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps and teaches and fills and comforts us. Awesome. So the promise of God himself bringing comfort to those who mourn. That's a pretty good promise. So here's the question though. When does the comfort come? Like, is that now? Is that later on? It's actually both. Um, one of the important theologies within the Sermon on the Mount, and you should know this, maybe some of you have not been taught this, is the theology in the New Testament of the already and the not yet. Meaning, the kingdom of heaven is already. The kingdom of heaven, if you're alive in Jesus Christ right now, you have been given access into the kingdom of heaven. You are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. The kingdom of heaven arrived with Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven lives within those who belong to him. In that sense, the kingdom of heaven is already. It is here right now. This is a representation of the kingdom of heaven. However, the kingdom of heaven is also not yet. There's a future fulfillment. Perfection is not here yet. Perfection is coming. The return of Christ will bring the not yet to its completion and the entirety of all the promises we've ever longed for hope and victory will be found in that moment at that time on that day. Very, very important. 
There's an already to God's kingdom. There's a not yet to God's kingdom. The same with comfort then. The comfort brought in God's kingdom. There's an already the comfort of God comforting us in our mourning. And there's a longing for the not yet where the fulfillment completion of that comfort that is yet to come, right? Like some examples would be how many of us have found ourselves in grief in death, like real death in this life over loved ones. The mourning over the sin that causes death is real, but the comfort of God comes. I personally lived this out in the past year, the passing of my, of my dad. I was overwhelmed with mourning and comfort of God in death. Unbelievably powerful. And so, it's so many of you know exactly what I'm saying. That's, that's the here and now of God's comfort. How many of us in our pain and sorrow and mourning over different circumstances of hardship and suffering and grief, whatever it might be, and loss and difficulty and health and relate, whatever it might be, and yet the Lord draws near in our brokenness and saves the crushed in spirit. That's what he does. How many of us have been ruined in our personal sin? God has brought us and broken us, devastated us with an awareness of our sin. But we, we lay you know, uh, uh, flat out before the Lord and we go before him and then we receive his forgiveness and, and, and healing and comfort. And so in that one moment of mourning over sin and then the supernatural comfort of God comes upon us in forgiveness and grace and healing. There's, there's just nothing like it. Why is there so much weeping in salvation? Not always, but often. When someone truly comes to Christ, often, I've seen this hundreds and hundreds of times in this room, in this church, over the years. Hundreds and hundreds of examples of people weeping, weeping, uncontrollable, weeping over the reality of their sin, mourning at the same time they've never been more aware of the joy, comfort, grace, and peace of God that is flooding their lives at the exact moment they are pouring out their soul before God. That's, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That's here and now. God's doing that all, the, and that is an awesome sight to behold. You see, because there's a brokenness that is met with a healing, and it's all simultaneous. It's just awesome. Only God can do that. The broken receive the comfort of the Lord. He is near to the brokenhearted. He gives grace to the humble. You know what's so encouraging for me? Like even this morning, I, in my Bible readings and uh, going through multiple chapters, and then I just kind of, I thought I was near the end of what I was supposed to read, and I just said, Lord, you speak to me. Would you speak to me? Father, speak to me. I love just saying that prayer. I just need to hear his voice so much. I just need so much wisdom from him every day. And um, I just, in my mind, it was 2 Corinthians 6. It was like I was supposed to be there, but I got stopped in 2 Corinthians 5, and that I was just loving what's in there. And then 2 Corinthians 6, and I went there, and I had a sense, and I opened the chapter and looked at it in detail. And then in that section, there was one I highlighted in red, in particular, asterisks right there with the exclamation mark beside it. It was that phrase that Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And I'm like, that's it. Like, I think that was just the Lord encouraged me for we're going in the right direction today. And just this is exactly, obviously it lines up with this word. But isn't, isn't that so much of our lives? Genuinely living for Christ. Sorrowful. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 
because it's the blessing that can't be removed from you no matter the circumstance. Paul and all his suffering and all his beatings and imprisonments and sleepless nights and persecutions and starvation, whatever it was, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The comfort of God here and now for those who mourn. And then this, and this is our last thing we kind of unpack, it's the comfort that's yet to come though. We also long for the comfort that will be. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is where we're so encouraged by eschatology. If you're new here, eschatology is a theological word that describes the last times. Eschat in the Greek means last, the study of end times, the study of last things. Man, the Bible is fired up about eschatology. Like the return of Christ and the hope we have in him. It is 318 times the return of Christ is mentioned in 260 New Testament chapters. 318 times mentions the return of Christ. Consider that every beatitude that we will go through, every beatitude points to the perfect happiness that's to come in the return of Christ or in the world to come. Okay, This is such an important point too, right? I say this a lot. As citizens of heaven, which if we're alive in Christ, we are, as citizens in heaven, this world is not all there is. It's very, you and I are tempted every day to live as though this world is all there is. You and I are tempted every day to get so overcome with sadness or so overcome with disappointment when things don't work out in this life. This is hard, but this is so important. The Bible keeps telling us it's not about this life. It's not about being healthy all the way until you die. It's not about all your finances working out as you desire. It's not about the perfect job. It's not about having perfect relational harmony every moment of every day. It's not about never being confronted with disaster or difficulty or pain or struggle or grief or disappointment. It's not about that. That's coming. Heaven is not now, praise God. If this was heaven, I quit, okay? <laughs> heaven is not now, okay? I look around this world, it stinks. It's tough. It's, if this is all there is, man, wow, we're getting gypped, okay? It's to come in Jesus Christ. What we know is within us, and the Bible tells us over and over and over again, don't live for now, don't live for now, don't live for now. Live for what will be to make you more effective now in fruitfulness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you and I are tempted every day. We live as though if things don't work out today, then there's no point. The Bible says the opposite. You have every point in the world to live for what will be tomorrow in the time to come. The comfort that is coming that's why some of my favorite verses in Scripture, Romans chapter 8, I consider the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, for these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that will be revealed. Philippians chapter 3, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior who will return and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that he holds again within himself. Glory, 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 the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. For when Christ appears, Colossians 3, you will appear with him also in glory. It's not about this world, man. It's about what's to be. And, Of course, Revelation 21, we'll end with this. 
Here's the promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain for the former things have passed away. Jesus Christ is going to return soon. Child, hang on. Comfort is coming. You say, I grieve. Me too. Hang on. Comfort is coming. You say, I have many tears. You're not alone. Comfort is coming. You say, life is so hard. Yeah, it can be, can it? Hang on. Comfort is coming. It's going to be worth it. You're like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's been really, really, really tough. The Lord knows. Hang on. Comfort is coming. And it's going to be worth it. And the time will come soon when the Lord Jesus Christ himself in some form, in some way, he will bend down and he will wipe away every, you will never shed tears of pain and grief again. He will wipe away every tear from your eye and he will embrace you with an eternal comfort that will last again for all of eternity and everlasting life. And you and I will not have one second of regret of anything we've done for Jesus Christ in this life. No wonder it's so difficult because of the glory that is about to come. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's a promise Jesus is keeping and a promise that he will keep. Amen. Let's pray. Blessed are those who mourn. So counter to our world. Obsessed with a superficial happiness. But here's Jesus. You mourn over sin, I comfort you with grace. You mourn over the reality of evil, I comfort you with hope and victory. Behold, I'm coming soon. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I, I just believe, Lord, this truth is so foundational and so important. I just think of all the situations in this room right now that you know perfectly and intimately, and I pray you are speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people's lives that they might even know the comfort of God even right now and hope and faith and joy and song and, and, and conviction. Please, Lord, maybe so. Maybe not live for this world. Maybe live for the one to come to make us more impactful for the world that we're in right now. May we know your blessing, even in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.